0: Today, we will speak about dependent origination which in the Pali language is known as paticca samupādā. This matter of dependent origination demonstrates how bhāva, or existence, which we spoke about yesterday, how it arises. How it can be managed and how it quenches or ends. We ought to consider this matter as being a law of nature, a fundamental principle, or the fundamental principle of nature. When speaking most broadly or universally we speak of this law as epper jayata which means conditionality when we speak a bit more specifically about about sentient beings conscious beings which feel pleasure and pain then we call this law
1: vaticca-samuppādā,
0: or dependent origination. We can look at this principle as being the cosmic law. However, what is most relevant to our own lives is to approach it as dependent origination. That this law, as it applies to creatures which feel, which experience pleasure and pain, happiness and dissatisfaction, this is what is most relevant to our own lives. It's a very difficult and profound matter difficult that at first, after awakening to this law, the Buddha thought that it wasn't possible to teach it. But then he considered carefully and understood that there were some, some people, some beings who could understand this law. And so he decided to teach it in the to find the best way of teaching it. And in the end, he decided it was worthwhile that if taught properly, some people would understand and this would make the effort worthwhile. This law of dependent origination is what the Great Awakening of the Buddha was about, the realization of this law. And the Buddha taught solely this law of dependent origination. This is so central in Buddhism that the Buddha said effectively, whoever sees dependent origination sees me. To see the Buddha, to truly see the Buddha means we must see dependent origination. It's as if the Buddha was still living now, so that we could meet and know him, because it's still possible. It's always possible for us to see and understand this law, just as if the Buddha was still here to teach it. And so we take this principle of dependent origination as being the heart of Buddhism. So this law of Buddhism will enable us to know ourselves, to know our own lives, to the degree that we will have no more problems. But here today, we especially want to examine dependent dependent origination to see how it can eliminate the dukkha the pain that arises from the three kinds of existence which we discussed yesterday. We need to see this fact of dependent origination as if it were some material object which we hold in our hands right in front of us. We need to see it in such a tangible way, although it is something immaterial, it's not a physical matter, but a spiritual one. We need to tangibly experience the fact that of its constant flow or stream, the pendant- Origination is a stream that's flowing throughout our lives, but it flows in a circle. It constantly recycles. So we need to experience this, this fact of this stream or this stream of cycles, of circles, as it happens in our life right now. In every cycle there are twelve things, or twelve conditions, and each condition supports and promotes the next one. So the first promotes the second, and then those promote the next, which promotes the next, stage by stage, step by step. We need to see this flowing cycle in these twelve aspects or these twelve conditions which arise, supported by the previous one. And these twelve are linked or joined by eleven aspects of this promoting of the power of concocting. So there are the twelve objects or things, the twelve conditions and then the eleven activities of conditioning which link them, one always promoting the next. And This flows on endlessly in cycles. Among those twelve things or conditions, one of them is Bhava, the different kinds of existence we discussed earlier. And in the eleven activities of promotion, of con- conditioning, there is the the activity of Upadana, attachment, conditioning, concocting, bhava. So In every cycle of dependent origination, there is the condition of bhava, and there is the concocting of it. Now, for us who are studying dependent origination in this way, but have not yet realized it fully, seen it clearly, this ha- is kind of a philosophy. Our understanding is on the level of philosophy. But for those who have seen dependent origination totally, completely, thoroughly, such as the Arahant, the human beings who are, have totally transcended dukkha, For them it is a science, it is purely a science. So we can approach, we can understand dependent origination on two levels. For us now it's more of a philosophy, but ultimately it is to be understood as a science. This is something to observe carefully. So now we'll look at dependent origination, whether as being a stream or as being a circle, as it occurs in each, each day of our lives. We have within us eyes, ears, nose, noses, tongues, bodies, and minds these six senses within and outside are the things which stimulate the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind namely forms, sounds, odors, taste, flavors, touches, and mental objects. So there are the Inner senses and in the outer objects which stimulate them. We need to observe these as they, as they happen to us. So when the eye is stimulated by some form, there's the eye and when some form stimulates it, then Consciousness arises based on the I. We call this I-consciousness. Consciousness doesn't exist all the time. It's just kind of some steady thing. But consciousness arises when the I is stimulated by a form. For example, we're using the example of the I to begin with. So there are these three things, the eyes, the form, and eye consciousness. When these three things then function together, when they work together, we call that patsa or contact. The meeting and functioning together of these three things is called contact. There are two kinds of contact. There's the contact of the one who knows the Dhamma, and there's the contact of the one who doesn't know the Dhamma. Or we can say there's the contact of the one who understands dependent origination, and the contact of the one who doesn't understand dependent origination or more simply, there is the contact of the person who is ignorant, ignorant contact, and there is the contact of one who is truly intelligent or wise contact. So contact is kind of a fork in the road. There's a choice, one can go, one way or the other one way is that of ordinary people which means all of us people who are still ignorant about dependent origination people who really don't know how things work for the ordinary ignorant person then contact leads to bhava the kinds of existence we've mentioned, which then is the basis for dukkha, for painful experience. However, there's another way, the path of the truly intelligent person. And this doesn't lead to getting, falling into any of these existences. And so there's no dukkha coming out of it. So there's kind of a crossroad. The mind has a choice which way it will follow. Now we'll look a bit further at what happens on the ignorant branch of the path, or about this little road. If there's ignorant contact it leads to the arising of ignorant feeling or vetanā. Feeling is called vetanā. And when this feeling is ignorant, it tricks us into feeling positive and feeling negative. So, ignorant contact tricks us into feeling positive and negative. However, if it's intelligent, there's... one doesn't get tricked into positive and negative feeling. Now, if the feeling is ignorant, then it leads to ignorant desire, which we call danha. We call it craving or desire because the mind is ignorant in feeling then the wants that arise from this feeling are also ignorant that is desire however if the feeling is not ignorant if it's wise then any want that arises from it is also wise which we don't call desire we call it wise want or aspiration there's an important difference between aspiration and desire one comes out of intelligence and the other results from ignorance especially ignorance regarding feelings it's already ignorance. that's why we call it desire it arises, once it's arisen, it's ignorant, and this is called desire. There's no ignorance involved, then we call it aspiration. So there's <clears throat> desire, or we can say want, takes two paths also. If want if takes the path of ignorance, we call it desire. If it follows the way of intelligence, We call it aspiration. However, because we are currently ignorant, because we don't understand things yet, our want is always ignorant. That is, for us, there is only desire. Now, when there is this ignorant desire, it leads further to attachment. The ignorance of desire leads to the further ignorance of attachment, which means grasping at the positive or grasping at the negative. And out, so, in the ignorance there arises attachment or upadana, which is always Ignorant. There's no such thing as wise attachment. And this brings us to bhava. Through attachment, there arises bhava. If there's attachment to, to sex, this leads to sexual bhava or sexual existence. Kama bhava if there's attachment to to formishness formness then this leads to the formish existence rupa bhava and if there's attachment to the formless to what has no form or the immaterial this will lead to formless exist, existence arupa bhava. So, whatever kind of attachment there is, or whatever we attach to, will lead to a corresponding existence. And this existence is always ignorant. We'd like to remember our housewife from yesterday. When she's busy with her husband, this there's and there's this attachment to sex sexuality this this concocts or brings up the sexual existence when she's involved with the kids or the house possessions, material things which are not sexual when she's it's a material thing but there's not any sex involved, then that attachment brings up the formish existence. And then sometimes when she's not involved with anything sexual or anything material, but with ideas of goodness or a good reputation or beauty and things like this, then this this kind of attachment brings up formless existence. So in whatever kind of involvement there is, this attachment brings up the corresponding kind of existence. So now let's look at which kind of existence doesn't bring suffering are any of the, which kind of the, of existence is free of suffering. We look at sexual existence. We all know the, all the effort, the nervousness, the waiting, the disappointment, the heartbreak, the worry, anxiety, all the effort and busyness that goes into or that is concerned with sexual existence. We all know from our own experience that sexual existence involves many difficulties and problems. As for formish existence, our possessions, our wealth, we have to work hard for these things. We have to struggle to protect them We worry that the government is going to take too much taxes, or there's thieves. We have to get insurance policies, and so these involve lots of effort, sweat, worry, and so on. And so they are caught up in many kinds of problems as well. And then formless existence, things like honor, power. Um, Faith, fortune, virtue, vice, um, sin, and these things. They also involve a lot of effort, concern, worry, take up our time, and they too create many problems. So you'll see that all kinds of existence are fraught with trouble they all involve problems which are experienced by us as dukkha. Something we need to understand about bhava is that even if there's wherever there is bhava, there will be dukkha. Even if there's just a little existence, There will be some dukkha. So even the itsy-bitsiest little bit of existence will have some dukkha involved. The Buddha compared it with excrement. Even a small bit of excrement or feces will stink. Even if it's so small you can't see where it is maybe somewhere on your hand or something. You can't see it, but still it stinks. Buddha used this to point out that even a tiny bit of bhava brings dukkha. Now, what we've been talking about is the situation with ordinary people, people like us. Next, let's take a look at a uh, somewhat better level or a higher level of human beings. We can speak of the, the hermits, the munis or sages who have left aside the ordinary um, household life and have trained their minds deeply. In meditation. Some, some of them take a, some form, some material object, as the subject of meditation. And then through that they, they develop states based on these material objects. And they find great joy, great delight in these states, states of deep concentration and absorption. These are the highest levels of rūpa bhāva, of formish existence. The form existences which develop from deep meditation into deep concentration, on material objects. Be it further than that, there are those hermits or sages, whatever, who have taken formless objects and developed very deep meditation, concentration on these. And this leads to the highest kinds of formless existences. There's great delight, great kind of bliss in these states. So they lead to the highest kinds, the most refined kinds of formless existence. But notice here that these, these very skillful meditators are still involved in existence. If there's attachment to the formish existences, then there is dukkha in that. If there's attachment to the formless existences, then there is dukkha, there is pain in those. Even if they're the highest kinds of formless existences, those of the Brahma gods, you might compare them to being, to being in Olympia, on, on the top of Mount Olympus. Um, Even those highest formless realms are, are still dukkha, if there is any attachment. Let's speak in terms of heaven or paradise. There can be heaven here in this life, in this very world. When there is joy and delight in sexuality, then one is in a sexual heaven right here in this world, right in this very lifetime. One is in one of the sexual, sensual paradises. Or if we speak more traditionally, if we take the conservative view, then there's some sexual heaven somewhere, some other world, someplace we don't know exactly where, but there's some sexual paradise somewhere. Both of these are dukkha. If you examine them, the sexual heaven right here or the sexual heaven in some other world, some other place, both of them are painful. If we go a little further back in this world, there is the heaven of, of wealth, of possessions, the, the paradise of material things. And this too is dukkha. Even the highest kinds of formish heavens and paradises, those that come from meditating on material objects, these two are dukkha. Or even if we we speak of the formish paradises, who knows where, that the conservative approach is interested in, those two are dukkha. Beyond the formish heavens, there are the formless heavens. in this world of honor, fame, delighting in, praise, flattery and so forth, or the highest kind of deep concentration on on formless meditation objects, these two are dukkha. Even in those other worlds of the Orthodox, to even to be a Brahma god. This might be hard for Westerners to understand, but in the Indian conception there are these various realms of heavens, of paradises, which become more and more refined. And the lower kind of sense sexual realms they speak of the angels living there. But in the higher levels, they speak of the Brahma gods. The highest are the formless, lustrous, radiant Brahma gods. It might be something like in the West, in Judaism and Christianity, they speak of thrones and powers and dominions. There are like nine levels of heavenly beings. There's thirty something of them in the traditional Indian conception. Whatever, whether it's in this world or other worlds, sexual paradises, formish paradises, formless paradises, all of them are dukkha. If there's just the least little bit of bava there will be dukkha in all these kinds of paradise. The The only way to be free of dukkha is to be beyond all of these paradises, to transcend all of these heavens. This is the only way there is total freedom and peace. This, which means the arahant, the perfect, perfected human being who isn't tricked by any, any kind or level of paradise. It's best to look at the <clears throat> heavens in this life, in this world. It's more easy to understand and more relevant. Just take a look around at our friends, especially those who are young, young men and women, and we see them scrambling after the sexual heavens, trying very hard, spinning around in the sexual paradises. And as soon as one gets one of these sexual heavens before long, it bites. It's not very long that the sexual existence bites, because there's jealousy, there's envy, there's competition, there's anxiety that one's lover will leave one, or one's lover doesn't smile and one gets depressed or gets angry, one doesn't get the attention one wants, and so very quickly the sexual Paradises turn around and bite one, bite us. After a while, maybe one is gets married, and there are children, a home, and the various possessions. And then when one has this formish paradise, before long, it bites as well. One has to pay the bills. One has to punch a time clock to earn the money to pay the bills. One worries about the children, whether, you know, finding good schools for them, whether they behave properly, dressing them. One, you know, has to worry whether one's furniture is up to date whether it's getting scratched, it has to be cleaned, at least one one has to work hard to find a maid or a parking place for one's car, and on and on and on. So the formish existences bite as well. Even the formless paradise, when one is famous, like a movie star, one is honored, one gets the Nobel Prize, and then there's tremendous pressure to live up to expectations, to protect one's reputation. One's in the formless paradise, one's world famous, one gets the highest honors, but there's pressure, there's expectation, there's anxiety that one might make a mistake or flub up that one's reputation will drop, that one will no longer be number one on the pop charts and all this. And so the formless paradises, they too bite their owner. Whatever kind of heaven it is, sexual, formish or formless, every kind of bhava turns around in bites. There's not any kind of bhava that is free of dukkha. Now, the person with dhamma can say, have a family and have a home without any problems. If a person really has dhammas, taking care of the home, the car, paying the bills, having a job, that won't fight, that won't be a problem. Or even being famous, getting the Nobel Prize won't be a problem for the person with, who truly has dhamma. Unfortunately, ordinary people don't really have dhamma, and so all of these things become problems. There's even competition to get the Nobel Prizes and things like that. All these paradises will bring dukkha need to, we must observe and see that in all the heavens, in every heavens, there are things that will bite. There are defilements that will make us ache, that will give us headaches and pains in the neck. In every kind of existence, there are things, There's anger, there's envy, there's competition, confusion, worry and so on. In all of the heavens there is pain. One cannot escape pain, even in the highest heaven. In every heaven, in every kind of existence, there are things that bite us, things that make us suffer. We'd like to mention a few clear, simple examples of these, which you can see quite easily. We'll mention around ten of them. In all the different forms and kinds of heaven, in all the different levels of existence, there is love. There's some kind of love in any, every one of the existences. You all know what love is. You all know how love bites, how heavy love can be. So this is the first example. We'll mention them one by one. Next is anger. When there's positive, we love it. When there's negative, we get angry. And then anger bites. There's anger in all the levels of heaven and they all bite. You, you know what this is like. You've all been angry before. You know how anger anger bites. This is the second example. The third is hate. Hating without any reason. So full of hate that we're totally annoyed, totally upset. We can't stand anything when there is hatred. This occurs in all the kinds of existence. It makes it very difficult to be there. Hatred is the third example. Next is fear. Foolish, irrational fear. In all the kinds of existence there is fear, such as the fear of poverty, the fear of losing one's lover, the fear of having something stolen or lost or destroyed, or the person who's famous is afraid of losing their fame. There are millionaires who commit suicide because they're afraid of becoming poor, and so on. In all the kinds of existence there is fear. Fifth is excitement. We always want things to come and stimulate us, looking for excitement and stimulation. All these Europeans coming to Asia, wandering around looking for excitement and adventure, or people going to sporting events in order to get excited, the movies, um, filling our house with curious, strange, interesting things to stimulate us, reading novels to stimulate us. This is the fifth example, that of excitement. The next example is hope for the future. People dreaming about the future, pinning their hopes on something in the future. What what is called building castles in the sky. Everyone is building castles in the sky, dreaming of some wonderful cake that they're going to eat or whatever. This is the sixth example. Next, seventh season <coughs> is longing after the past. Missing, a sense of missing something and longing for it, especially things that we have loved in the past. We usually can't help it. If we've loved something, <coughs> we long for it. Next is envy. Envy stabs and pierces us, while the person we're envious of doesn't know a thing. One one is feeling the, the envy is burning us up, and the other person isn't bothered in the least. We see something that somebody else has, or think that somebody else is better, more talented. And we get envious. It doesn't come in the least, but it really burns us up, envy. The next is jealousy, kind of possessiveness, having something and being jealous of it, not wanting to share it, being miserly afraid that people will, you know, ask for, for some of what we've got. A beggar might ask us for some money or a friend might ask to share some food or whatever. In general, we call this jealousy or possessiveness. The last example is another form of jealousy, but a very special and powerful one. The Thais have a special word for it, hun, which is to be jealous of something sexual, mainly one's sexual partner, one's husband, wife, lover, or whatever. It's a very strong kind of jealousy, sexual jealousy, sexual possessiveness. People often kill because of this one. In this world, in this existence, there are all ten of these kind of things. And they bite us. Whenever one of them appears, they bite us. Even in heaven, you'll find all ten of these. All of the heavens, even the highest heavens, have all 10 of them. Every kind of bhava, every existence without any exception, will have these 10 kinds of things. If there's existence, we just can't avoid these, these things. And every time they bite us. And so this, of dependent origination has taken us to bhava, to existence, where we exist in one way or another. I am this, I am that, where we consider ourselves to be a man, a woman, um, a German, a Frenchman, an Australian, or whatever, where any kind of I am this, I am that, this is Existence. And once there is existence, then there leads, it's, the role is played to the hilt. Once, once there is existence, then there is the, the one, the person who exists in that way. There's the different kinds of existence. And then there is the one who plays that role, who is born into that role, and acts it out fully. The the birth of this person, the one the role we must play, is called jati or birth. This is the hmm. result of bhava. In every cycle of dependent origination. There is bhava and jati, birth. Every time this flow takes a spin, there is existence and birth, whether it's dependent origination based on the eyes or the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, or the, the mind sense. Every cycle will include existence and birth. And once there is birth, there is the big, fat ego, the ego playing this role or that. And that ego is heavy, that ego suffers. Whatever the form of existence, whatever sense experience it's based on, there appears this birth. The birth of the I am, the ego, playing its little act, getting into trouble. This is something that we must begin now to pay special attention to. We've been overlooking this for all our lives. We haven't been paying any attention to bhava and to this birth of ego. It's been going on and we've just... The time has now come to start paying attention to it, to understand it and find the way to get free of this, this aimless spinning around in circles of suffering. The stream of dependent origination is the stream of life. Stream of life is nothing other than the stream of dependent origination. If you see this fact, you should see this fact clearly, deeply, 100 percent, that there's no real difference between the stream of life and the stream of dependent origination. Positive things, the positive draws us into these cycles of dependent origination much more easily and powerfully than the negative. The positive tricks us much more quickly than the negative into dependent origination. Nonetheless, it's the positive that we're infatuated with. We worship the positive. When we give a blessing, we only bless positive things. May you be happy and beautiful. We never say, may you be sad and ugly. We are just, our big concern is with the positive. Although it's what tricks us into dependent origination, most of all. Be careful, don't fall for the positive. Don't fall for the negative either. Don't let them suck you into the maelstrom of dependent origination. Okay, so now we'll look at the the stream, this flow. It begins with the, what we call the ayatana, the senses. The eyes, the ears, the nose, tongue, body, and mind. These are within. They're part of the nervous system in our body. So, the stream of dependent origination starts off with the ayatana, the senses. So, when the six senses interact with their six objects, the forms, sounds, odors, flavors, touches, and mental objects, then consciousness arises. There are six kinds of consciousness, one for each sense, eye consciousness, ear consciousness, and so on. So, the next thing is patsa, contact. When the senses are functioning with their objects, that's the first thing. Then the second is the six kinds of consciousness. And then there are the six kinds of contact. When there is contact, we can avoid that there will be feeling, vetanā. When there is feeling, we meet up with the fifth thing, dāna, desire. When there is desire, we can't help ourselves. There will be upadāna, attachment. And once there is attachment, we can't help it, there is bhava existence. And now the eighth thing, once there is bhava, there arises, there happens jati, the birth of the role player, of the personality, the ego. And last of all, once there is birth, ego birth, there's nothing to be done about it there will be suffering it's inevitable that once there is ego there will be suffering physical birth out of our mother's wombs is no problem we have no no difficulties with being born physically the problems don't start until there is spiritual birth the birth that happens because of ignorance, that happens through attachment. When there is the spiritual birth, when the the me is born, this is where the problems begin. So let's run through these again. There are these senses, which includes their objects. Then there's sense consciousness, vijnana. Then the Six kinds of contact once there's contact there will be feeling and we can't help it that there will be desire arising toward the feeling and then the feeling and then because of desire there is attachment through attachment there is then existence arises and then there's birth and then dukkha so altogether, there are nine things: the ayatana, the senses, consciousness, feeling, desire, attachment. Wait, I missed contact. Then attachment is six. Existence, birth, and dukkha is nine. So there are these nine conditions. This, this is the, a simple, direct, immediate explanation of dependent origination in terms of these nine conditions, these nine factors. This is something that everyone here has the intelligence to understand because it can be clearly, directly observed in your own experience, even right now. Everyone here Once you understand the meaning of these nine terms, we'll be able to see what is meant. So we begin by understanding this this version, or this explanation of dependent origination. However, in the Dhamma way of speaking, we include dukkha in birth. The two are inseparable. As soon as ego is born, there is dukkha. You can't just separate the two. Birth is painful. Birth is dukkha. But we mean the spiritual birth, not physical birth. So that leaves eight things. In the Dhamma way of speaking, there are are eight. Because as soon as there's birth, there's going to be trouble. It's the way things are. Now, at the beginning we mentioned that there were 12 conditions there are 12 conditions now some people the the eight we've just mentioned are something easily observable by everyone who who is willing to pay attention but there are some who want to go even further want to stretch the limits a bit and they go and ask Well, where do the senses come from? Where do the senses come from? And the senses come from Nama Rupa, from the mind-body. There aren't any senses unless there is the mind-body. And then one asks, well, where where does mind-body come from? One could say the mind-body depends on the conditioning, the concocting of the consciousness element. So when the the kind of general element of consciousness, which is kind of a potential, an inherent potential in things, when this is concocted or conditioned, into consciousness of one specific sense such as eye consciousness or ear consciousness. So there's kind of this inherent potential of consciousness which is then conditioned into some, a specific active consciousness. Where does this conscious that consciousness come from? It comes from what we call saṅkhāra which here means the the power of concocting. And last of all, one asks, well, where does that come from? The power of concocting arises due to ignorance. So due to ignorance, there is the power of concocting. Due to this concocting, the consciousness element is concocted into specific consci- consciousness of one of the senses. Due to that there is the mind body. because of the mind body, there are the senses because there are the, with the senses there is contact and so on. So we had the eight and if we look even deep more deeply into it, there are these other four: ignorance, the power of concocting the consciousness and then mind body. So the four plus the eight makes twelve. This is the more detailed and much more difficult, um, way of seeing dependent origination. These early elements are incredibly subtle and difficult to. investigate. You don't really have to know the first four. These first four are very deep secrets of life, which are quite hard to see. It's not necessary that you know these things, but it's absolutely necessary to know the latter eight, beginning with the senses, consciousness, contact, and so on the latter part we must know because it's happening right here in right now this is our experience our life is made up of these these eight things so it's necessary for us to investigate and understand them this is something that all of us can do to To see the first four requires a very special investigation. We need to really train the mind, and we must look very deeply. So that is beyond the needs and the ability of many. But the latter eight is something we all must investigate until we see it for ourselves, in our experience. Nonetheless, altogether there are twelve conditions or twelve, 12 aspects of things arising in dependent origination. So let's consider the entire stream as it's taught in Buddhism, that that covers all twelve elements or conditions. It begins with the state of not knowing, the state or condition that is without correct knowledge. There might be knowledge, but the knowledge is incorrect, it's wrong, it's misunderstanding. So this is called avicca or ignorance. It all begins with the state of not knowing, not knowing things as they really are. Due to this, there is then the power of concocting the mind that is wise doesn't concoct but when there's ignorance the mind gets into concocting so this you can call it a kind of crazy insane power of concocting then is touched off due to ignorance then this power of concocting takes the the natural consciousness element, that that basic inherent element of consciousness, which is totally natural. The power of concocting takes this and cooks it up into a kind of unnatural consciousness, which is then reaching out or jumping out at the senses.
1: The consciousness of eyes,
0: of ears, it's It's not just this natural consciousness, but it's now been cooked up, stirred up, so that it's reaching out for the senses. This is the third condition. Then, because there is this consciousness, there is nama-rupa, mind-body. Mind-body is like a car. Consciousness is like the driver. You've got a driver, well, it needs something to drive. So there's nama-rupa. Nama is like the driver. Rupa is the actual material vehicle. This body is like the, the physical vehicle. And nama is the driver. A car is worthless without a driver, right? So to speak of a complete car you need the driver too so because of consciousness then there arises nama rupa the vehicle for action for movement then the mind body is the basis for the senses once there is this vehicle for movement then it has these various tools which are the senses so the as this process of concocting flows then the senses are conditioned concocted so due to the mind body there are the senses once there are the senses the ayatana both as sense organs and sense objects, then this conditions the ordinary consciousness of everyday life. This, this ordinary consciousness of seeing, hearing, smelling in everything in our ordinary lives, which we've already mentioned, this is conditioned. This then becomes fully functional due to the, the senses. Now, normally in this, this long version of dependent origination, we don't uh, mention consciousness specifically right here. It's included in contact. Consciousness was already mentioned, so we don't want to repeat it but it's actually included implicitly in contact so usually it's said that due to the senses there is contact sense contact or sense experience now once there is contact then is contact then further there arises feeling desire attachment existence and birth. And that birth is dukkha. If there is ignorance at contact, then the the stream flows on through feeling into desire, attachment, existence, birth, which is dukkha. However, if contact is wise, if contact is, instead of, if contact there's no ignorance conditioning contact then there's just contact and none of the problems of desire attachment existence and birth occur this is going on the ignorant form at least is going on over and over again in our ordinary lives in one day this cycle spins around who knows how many times but nobody cares nobody pays any attention and so people are kept spinning around in dukkha so it's time to stop and study this it's going it's our life this is our life if one wants to know oneself wants to know one's own life that means stopping now and actually studying how this dependent origination spins around in our lives. This is the only way there is to truly understand our situation and then solve our problems. You can see quite easily that once we see these twelve things or dhammas, these dhammas which are dependently originating, Once we see these twelve Dhammas, we'll see that between them there are eleven links. Between the first and second is one link, between the second and third is another link, between third and fourth is a further link, and so on. So there are twelve things linked by eleven linkages. Some of you might think that this explanation is excessive,
1: mm-hmm. too difficult,
0: or too much. But we think that this is necessary, that there's, not, there's nothing excessive about this, that this is the basic knowledge that we need if we're going to um, cope with the stream of dependent origination. If we don't understand what's been explained here, then there's no way that one can deal effectively
1: with these
0: cycles of dependent origination. The only way we can control existence, meaning if we're, if existence is out of control, it's just a lot of problem for us. But once we get existence under control, then it's no longer a source of pain and suffering for us. The only way we can do this is if we fully understand dependent origination and so forth. And so this explanation is necessary. So now you know what the kinds of existence are and you know how these existences are dependently originated. The thing that remains is to understand how to study this deeply and then how to train ourselves so that we can control that we can manage this flow of dependent origination so in a later talk we'll talk about the mindfulness with breathing practice of meditation which is our way of training, so that we fully... so that we have the tools, the abilities to... to manage this dependent origination. Now, we should warn you that in other places they explain dependent origination differently. So if you go and read some books on Buddhism, whether they're from Burma or Sri Lanka or Tibet or even most of the places in Bangkok, they'll explain it differently than we've done here. It's up to you to examine the different explanations and see which one will actually solve our problems. which way of understanding dependent origination can actually end suffering. Now, if you see that this explanation can actually do that, then it may not be necessary to go reading lots of books on this. But if you do come across other explanations, you'll need to find out for yourself which way can actually extinguish suffering. This isn't meant to be just some theory that we believe in or we we argue about. It's meant solely to be a practical means to free us from dukkha. And once again, we thank you very much for being very good listeners and allowing us to do our duty. Thank you.